When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you have a topic you'd like us to discuss, ask your question or leave a comment on our voicemail at 800-815-6820, and we might just include your message in an upcoming show. This episode of the Single Tracks podcast is sponsored by TripOutside.com. Oh man, I hope this shop rents some decent mountain bikes. This will be the fifth shop I've called. Bob's Bikes, what's up? Oh, hi. I'm planning a trip out to Colorado from Georgia next month, and I was wondering if you rent enduro bikes, like maybe the Transition Sentinel or the new Santa Cruz Mega Tower? Wait, you're coming from Georgia? You should probably stick to the XC trails here. We got some Schwinn hardtails that are probably more your speed. Um, no thanks. I'm sure I'll be fine with an enduro bike, really. So do you have any available for rent? I think we might have a couple. Not sure what sizes, though. My manager's at lunch right now, so I have to call you back. Renting outdoor equipment shouldn't be this hard. TripOutside.com makes finding, comparing, and booking rental gear quick and easy. Your equipment will be ready and waiting at the outfitter so you can get to your adventure right away. From mountain bikes and stand-up paddleboards to skis, snowboards, surfboards, and camping gear, you'll find whatever you need to get outdoors at the best prices. Now available in over 60 top outdoor destinations and growing daily. Next time, start with TripOutside.com to find the best places to explore outdoors. Hey everybody, welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff and today Matt and Jero and I are going to be talking about nature. So most, if not all, mountain bikers are nature lovers too. And for many of us, Really, it's the main reason we ride bikes off-road. So this week, we want to share our stoke for nature and perhaps inspire others. So, Jero, you've been writing a sort of a series called The Mountain Biker's Guide to Nature. So I want to start with you. How important is sort of the natural aspect of mountain biking to you? It's super important to me. I find nature really fascinating, and I like to do all sorts of armchair research and, (laughs) you know, kind of read any new science uh, articles I can find that are around what's happening in the natural environment. Also raced and rode road bikes for quite a while. And when it, at that point in my life, whenever I would hop on my mountain bike and get out in the woods, it always felt a whole lot better. Um, just away from the traffic and all the human made things. It was great. Yeah, that's definitely one of the things that makes mountain biking different from road biking for sure. What about you, Matt? What's what's your feelings about nature? Are you just there to shred and, you know, just hit whatever jumps you can and head back? Or are you checking out the nature at the same time? Yeah, I kind of thought about this the same way that Jero thought about. And like, does it, yeah, does it get down to just being on the bike? Because I do a fair bit of road riding too. And it like, of course, road biking, the control of the bike handling features is completely different from mountain biking. But yeah. A lot of the same exercise and release is pretty similar. But yeah, then you think about it, like the atmosphere is completely different, right? Like you're sharing it with cars. It's less private. 400 cars can ride by and sort of look at you and see what you're doing at the moment. And yeah, it is like a lot less private. 
And so like the terrain environment, I think does make a huge difference because yeah, I mean, no matter what, it's just a different feeling when you're mountain biking than mm -hmm. when you're road biking. And even, you know, thinking on like, I don't, I don't do it a whole lot, but going dirt jumping or going to a dirt jump park or a little urban bike park or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's still a completely different feeling. Like the vibes are different. Social interactions are different. Yeah. And it, yeah, it is. It's just being around nature, being in the woods, being in the desert or whatever, sort of removed from a greater infrastructure. It does end up being pretty important. Yeah, for sure. For me, before I started mountain biking seriously, uh, I did a good bit of backpacking and you know obviously with backpacking you're totally immersed in the forest and for days at a time and you're you're walking and eating and sleeping and everything outdoors and I always loved that but I think what I appreciate about mountain biking is that you can cover a whole lot more ground and you can see a whole lot more stuff and that's good and bad right like you you may miss some details and there's probably a lot of stuff that we don't see in nature because we're flying by it. But yeah, I just love being able to cover so much ground on a mountain bike and be able to, it's just, for me, it's a faster, different way to enjoy nature. Yeah, definitely. I, I kind of think about like, I don't know, have you guys been to uh, like that Ray's indoor park in Ohio by chance? No, no not yet. But, I mean, it's like kind of the indoor like mountain bike park, right? It's where they have like features and stuff like that. And I'm sure even that, like, even if you were to, I don't think it could be huge, but like even if you were to take like Invesco or Mile High Stadium, whatever they call it now in here, which is huge, and you put like a bunch of like man-made trails and stuff, mm -hmm. like they might be cool, but it, it definitely wouldn't be the same. Right. Yeah. It wouldn't be something you would choose to do like several times a week, like most of us do for regular mountain biking. It's true. Yeah. And what, and what would it be too? I guess if, if we take away the mountain from biking, then really, yeah, we're, we're not left with much. We're left with BMX or road riding. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There might, there might be some folks in the plain States that ride single track that would argue against that, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Single, single track in the forest anyway. Hill biking or <laughs> a good thing. Yeah. We'll talk about that a little bit later. I mean, I think, I think for me, I can enjoy any kind of environment. They're all different and there's different like totally things to it. But yeah. So Jero, has your interest in nature grown since you started writing or were you like more into nature before and writing was just like a natural way to get out and, and check things out? Well, you mentioned like kind of this sense of before I started riding really seriously and I have a mm -hmm. kind of a similar sense of like I mountain biked as a kid, but I also did lots of other stuff and didn't necessarily call myself a mountain biker but I grew up you know my parents houses in the forest in North Idaho and so kind of an appreciation for nature that was almost a little forced like you want to go outside you probably kind of learn to love it or yeah, yeah stay inside but I I really appreciated being out in the forest and being in nature and just checking out what animals were doing and like paying attention, learning about different trees. My dad was always really into that. So it was kind of like a pretty natural progression between the, you know, that part of growing up and then getting more serious about mountain biking and continuing to pay attention to those things. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I ride with some people who know a good bit about nature, you know, they can identify plants and one guy is really up on like edible things like that you would see along the trail. And so, yeah, he points that stuff out and 
you know, that's something I probably wouldn't seek out on my own. I wouldn't go to the internet at night and look up stuff about plants and memorize leaves and stuff like that. But when you're with other people who know that stuff and are interested in it, it's definitely contagious and it, it's gotten me more interested in nature for sure. Yeah, it does make you want to learn a little bit, a little bit more. One of the rides I was doing copper a few weeks ago, my buddy was like pointing out these different types of mushrooms on the trail. Oh, like, nice. That's sweet. Like, oh, you, you could probably cook with that. I was like, how do you know that much about mushrooms? Yeah. It's like, oh, we've got this big book on it. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Yeah. And, and also you learn to identify like poison ivy, poison oak pretty quickly. Yeah. That's another good one to know. So yeah. What, what have you seen in Colorado, Matt? I mean, has, has it, your appreciation for nature increased the more you've started biking? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, even just the, you know, removing sort of the people factor from it, it's a little bit of a reprieve from technology and stimulation, which I really appreciate, like going out, I, you know, I don't do it all the time, but most of the time, like 95%, I try and just leave my phone in my pocket and not look at it. Actually, I, I pull it out a fair bit to take pictures and stuff. <laughs> You're creating content though. You're not consuming it. Yeah, yeah seeing things out in nature that I think are cool and sort of like my desire to share with other people. So yeah, I, there's like a sort of a sense of peace that I get from being out there. Uh, and it's just healthy for the brain. And then I feel like I appreciate it more in Colorado after, I mean, I live in a busy area. There's a lot of people closest sort of outdoor region to Denver, which is a very busy city now. So it's, now it's kind of like we're watching a lot of humans trying to enjoy nature at the same time. So you sort of see the effects of overpopulation, climate change, and overuse all at once on like places that you've been around for a while. Yeah. So yeah, like it does, it makes me respect a little bit more and have a better appreciation for it and just sort of think about like how I can be more responsible so that uh, things that everybody love are not getting ruined. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. You mentioned climate change because that's something that's like not readily apparent, like every time you go out to ride, but I imagine people who, you know, ride year round and maybe ride fat bikes in the snow, you know, you notice that stuff. Cause you're like, Hey, this, there's less snow this January than there was last January. Or, you know, I, I definitely feel more in tune with that kind of stuff by riding the same trails year round because you, you get to see the seasons and how things change and and that's that's really interesting as well pretty fascinating yeah i I, th I think for here it's like it's there's just not a consistent set season anymore like the four seasons aren't consistent you know you know like yeah winter's not always going to start in december anymore and spring is sometimes going to end in june and right interesting i guess spring always ends in june but <laughs> sometimes it feels like <laughs> Technically, it goes way later yes <laughs> yeah and matt just to back up a little bit, you mentioned kind of the sense when you do get to be away from people out in the forest and you, you know, you get to spend a little bit of time alone. Do, do you find that like a good way to recharge or kind of, you know, like what's your, what do you find that you enjoy about being in nature without people? Good question. Because like, I mean, a lot of the times we'll go out for social rides and group rides and things like that, which are like, but then you know, I find I really enjoy like every now and then I'm sure everybody does just going out by themselves. And I think, again, it's like that lack of stimuli and actually being alone with your thoughts and sort of getting the time to process, be alone with your thoughts, 
and um yeah just kind of like think about things sometimes right because like Mm -hmm. i find it at home it's hard to be bored anymore with how much stuff we have (laughs) totally uh, (laughs) like it's it's pretty healthy to be bored not that mountain biking is boring but it gives you the time to where you're not mentally focused on anything else except what's around you and what's to come so you get to process a lot more of your your thinking yeah that lack of distractions really lets you appreciate nature and like see what's going on more and you, you also mentioned disconnecting from technology i know that's becoming more popular with certain groups of people you know vacations that are completely screen free or whatever you want to call it yeah i think i think it's interesting that mountain bikers you know we've always kind of sensed that and yet at the same time we you know have the latest and greatest technology on our bikes but but to a point you know i mean for most of us we're still riding human powered bikes and you know kind of getting out there on our own and exploring nature and again free from distractions i think i think it's really unique among just just in the world today to have that opportunity yeah absolutely i think it's important yeah yeah so jero i wanted to ask you what do you find sort of the most interesting on the trail in terms of nature like you've written about trees and i guess it's all trees right so far yeah a few few plants but mostly trees trees and stinging nettles that's pretty much it so yeah you're more into the flora i guess yeah, flora definitely. I'm definitely interested in fungus and mycelia. Mm. But one of the things I find most interesting is the way that water kind of dictates everything oh. in the natural environment, like how streams change a hillside and kind of change the the places and the ways that plants can grow and where animals can travel and and they obviously change trail builders often say you have to think like water change the way that a trail is shaped and you know sometimes you go ride your favorite trail and it's totally different because there was a big storm yeah but that's i mean that's true like throughout the entire forest and it's really cool to see how that works it's pretty powerful like just the way that it can can shift everything around yeah that's true i mean i guess looking at my list i mean water pretty much affects all of them right trees and plants and even the way that the rocks are shaped or positioned and wildlife obviously is influenced by where the water is yeah, way to go! You, you got it all in one answer. There. <laughs> Sweet you win. Yeah, uh, pick the resource. Yeah. <laughs> what do you think, Matt? What's What's interesting to you? Are you you into spotting bears and wildlife on the trail, or is it something else? But yeah, definitely. Like I've yet. To, I'm, I'm pretty bummed. I, when I was in California, I saw a lot of bears when I was a kid, and I've mm. been in Colorado for a long time now, and. Uh, up to BC several times, still have not seen a bear uh, out on the trail. Someday. Yeah, that was, I had the same thing. I said this, I don't know, in some other show we were doing. I think we did a show all about wildlife, things we've seen on the trail. And I said, I'd never seen a bear. And then I saw I saw two of them at Whistler, but I, I, it doesn't count to me. Whistler almost feels like you're at a theme park or a zoo or something. And They put them there? Yeah. No, they didn't put them there, but I was like on the lift and yeah, it wasn't like I, what I want is to, you know, come screaming around a corner and, and see a bear <laughs> off in the distance, not one like right in front of me. Yeah. I mean, I think like in Colorado, it's interesting because the terrain changes so much, you know, it's like if I go east 20 miles, it's all plains and like, it'd be hard to distinguish from Kansas or something. Yeah. And then where I'm at, it's, you know, sort of the foothill starts, so we get 
where I mostly ride is a lot of, um, you know, there's sandstone, like kind of red rocks and stuff like that over there mm-hmm. and then buff trails. So it's, um, you know, a lot of buff trail and sandstone and then, you know, you can go 20 miles, 30, 40 West again. And it's just like a ton of granite and decomposed granite. So I always thought that was interesting and in just how much the terrain can vary in such a small space. You go up to like Buffalo Creek and it's just, it's all loose decomposed granite that makes up the entire amount of trails and trail network there. And I don't know, it's crazy. Yeah. It's really cool too, to do like a, a big descent, you know, like Pike's Peak comes to mind where you, you start above tree level and mm-hmm. work your way down. And there's like those different life zones, you know, all within one ride that you go through. It's, that's really cool to see. It makes you realize, yeah, like where you are kind of in the, not the food chain, but, but you know, in terms of, of life, like I always feel really uncomfortable above tree line, like <laughs> just feels like you're not supposed to be there, you know, like the air is thin. Yeah, there's and, a lot, a lot that can go wrong. Yeah. There's no water. It's just, yeah. I always think, I always think like, man, how could anything survive up here? Especially me. So like to get down pretty quick just yeah just you and some marmots yeah yeah i think for me you know i grew up in the southeast and moved out to colorado for a while and for me the vistas and views were always like the big thing that i would look forward to on a ride and you know in colorado it seems like you have them sort of around every around every bend in the trail and you've got especially once you get above tree line you know it's just that's all you see is the vistas and i always enjoyed that and especially now that i'm back in the southeast definitely appreciate it the few times that one opens up you know it's just really cool to be able to look out and see you know point to a peak or a mountain and say like oh we're we're heading that way we're gonna go over that mountain or through that valley yeah that's always it's always pretty cool to me yeah definitely lots of 14er spotting and things like that yep so do you guys have a favorite ecosystem for mountain biking? Matt, you sort of mentioned different, the different zones uh, that you can ride through. Do you have a favorite? Yeah, it's hard. Like I've done a bunch of this. It's, it's hard to pick one. Um, cause I've done a lot of different type of riding this year. Like when I first started mountain biking, like one of my first out of town trips is to Moab. And I've been there like a dozen times since then, but every time it's like, I don't know. It's to me, one of the most beautiful desert, places I've ever been, you know, I grew up in the Southwest and lived in Arizona and still Moab is just like this incredible desert landscape. Yeah. And it just like makes you think like you see all these petrified sand dunes and, you know, arches and things like that. And it, uh, it's someplace that like you go to and you see the terrain and landscape and it makes you think about like how these things formed over time. Yeah. Like in Colorado, the, a bunch of the riding I've done lately is kind of like these big mountain rides, like you said, Jeff, going up to eleven or 12,000 feet and kind of seeing what's up there. Like that was something I thought about too. Like there's not really a whole lot that can survive at that altitude. So it's, it's pretty interesting to see. Yeah. Then I rode a bunch in BC this summer too. And that was like amazing because you're right next to the sea and you get all this, you know, all these rainforests and like, it's the complete opposite of high altitude riding because you have, all this life and water and oxygen down there. And it's, yeah. oh, I don't know. It's hard to pick one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, what's awesome about mountain biking is you can, you can ride a bike pretty much any kind of, any kind of place you can think of on the earth. Yeah. You can do it all. Yeah. What about you, Drew? What's, what's your thing right now? 
Oh, I also find it really tough to choose. Like places like Flagstaff and Sedona are amazing. I love riding in the desert and the dry parts of northern Arizona, also northern California. But like high and dry mountains, I would say in general, are kind of my favorite. Like the Spanish Pyrenees and a lot of the mountains around here until you get up maybe closer to Switzerland. It's a little more damp in some places, but really the Alps in general, like you can get pretty high in the mountains and it's it's fairly dry, like nice loose dirt and just really big, amazing, kind of awe-inspiring views that, yeah. you know, are always worth stopping and uh, taking a look at. Is that like a lot of riding in Oregon too, like sort of high desert type terrain also? Um, it depends on where you're at. Oregon is super diverse. Uh, so around Portland and the whole west side of the Cascades, until you get down around Ashland, it's pretty wet. Like it's a, it's a lot just like riding all over in Washington or most of Washington. And then toward Bend, it's, yeah, it's high desert. And then also down south, it's high desert, but high desert with mountains. So it's a, it's pretty unique. It starts to look more, of course, like Northern California. Yeah. Yeah, it just gets rockier and sandier. Yeah, that's cool to have both of those things kind of in the same area close by. For sure. Yeah, we have a good bit of that here in Northern Italy as well. We have a lot of like pretty dry, you know, like open mountain riding. And then down on the coast, it's always fairly damp. You know, so it's a lot more lush and the trails are always slowly getting being grown over and cut back. Yeah. So it's a it's a cool variety for sure. Cool. Yeah. I Lately, I feel like I've been getting more into the sort of rainforest riding. I mean, technically, I think a lot of the southeast is is rainforest territory, but thinking specifically of like the Pacific Northwest and stuff you find in B.C., you know, I rode in Colorado for years. I go out west at least a couple times every summer. And man, lately it's just felt really hot and like dry. And I don't know, riding in the Pacific Northwest has been kind of a nice break to that. And everything's just so like green and lush and cool. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's climate change too. You know, I used to, it gets super hot here in Atlanta in the summer, hot and humid and so I would always look forward to going out to Colorado in the summer. But the last few times we went, it's it's hot. It's just hot out there, and it doesn't feel like much of a relief versus going somewhere like you know Pacific Northwest where at least you've got trees providing some shade. For sure. And in places like Bellingham and all around the, the west coast of Washington, like you can just bring a jacket and it's easy to deal with. Whereas if you get, yeah. like you're saying, if you get too hot, there's not much you can do. Right. Yeah, I've I've tried riding shirtless and it's it's a little bit cooler, but man, you get whipped by branches the whole time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I love too the like the loam is is different in those kind of ecosystems. You know, here in Georgia, again, we have plenty of like tree cover and you know, you can ride for hours and maybe even for days and not see the sun because you're under tree cover the whole time, but the the ground and the soil just isn't the same. You know, it's, we have more like red clay, like hard pack type stuff, but it's different to be able to ride in this dark loam that's soft and get more traction in. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. And it smells good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> yeah. The smells. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely notice smells when I'm riding. That's, that's always fun. 
Yeah, it smells like it smells like pine saw for some yeah. reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I was thinking too when we were riding in Whistler, there were a few times where I would stop, or even when we were like walking into our uh, the place we were staying the first night, it smelled terrible. It smelled like a like a bathroom. It reminded me of like the <laughs> the elevator at the um, train station here, and like I was like, oh man, like why are people just like pissing in the halls here like this is terrible but then i realized somebody else said it that it's like it's wildlife you know it's bears and different animals that stink right one it's just their musk but two like they you know they go to the bathroom out there and and we're riding near it and through it and so yeah it smells like wet dog a lot of times too and Mm -hmm. i was looking around like (laughs) where's the dog then i realized it's because there's there's big animals in the woods yep (laughs) All right, so now to some some of the tougher questions, and maybe maybe we'll have a little bit of uh, conflict or disagreement here. But do you guys see any tension between having a love and respect for nature and riding or building trails, Jarrell? I know you've you've done a little bit of trail building in your day. Do you think there's there's a problem, or, or can the two coexist? I think they can coexist for sure. I think we can do things respectfully and do the research to find out, you know, where there's animal and plant habitats that we might uh, affect while we're building trails and Mm -hmm. check for drainages. And yeah, I think as long as we're making sure that we're not harming the ecosystem and messing up anybody else's home, then I don't think there should be any problem. Yeah, but we're always going to have an effect, right? I mean, I've seen the studies about like even just just the sort of the like disruption to wildlife beside the trail, you know, so like 50 feet out, Mm -hmm. you know, you're disturbing one kind of animal, a hundred feet out, you're disturbing another kind. So there's always going to be some detriment to the environment, I guess, whenever we're riding our bikes through, right? For sure. And I think that humans as the, I mean, we are the main detriment to the environment. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important to get as many of us out in nature to realize why we can and maybe should appreciate it. And so things like trails that make that possible, if they disturb a little bit of small piece of several thousand acres, I think it's totally worth it and, you know, might change the minds of people that would otherwise do some more damaging things. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, they say anything that gets more people out in nature and, you know, experiencing it, then they're going to appreciate it and they're going to want to protect it. Yeah, absolutely. I think fewer people on their couch watching Netflix and more people on the top of a mountain watching raptors or whatever is happening. Like that's, that can only be better for them and for the environment. Yeah. How about you, Matt? What do you think? Is there, is there a tension between loving and respecting nature and riding mountain bike trails? Yeah, I mean, there definitely can be, right? Like, kind of going off the last statements, I mean, that was sort of the uh, initial point in designating wilderness is that you can get people out to experience these wild things that are um, a lot more primitive than civilization. And when you go back to your nine to five in the city, you go into Starbucks and get a cup of coffee, you're not just throwing it on the ground when you're done you make sure it goes in the right place because you have a little bit uh, a deeper appreciation for the earth and the environment and so yeah i mean like building trails riding your bike like it it obviously has to be managed 
and the trails have to be built properly. And that's why you have these government systems in place that usually manage trail systems. And even sitting in on some city council meetings last year, I mean, it is a bureaucratic process to get, you know, even a mile long stretch of trail approved, at least here. Mm-hmm. Like there's so many different wildlife assessments. And like you said, Jeff, you're taking into account of how much of a disturbance one trail is going to have, like uh, how far into the surrounding environment that radiates. And, you know, at least at those city council meetings, like that's, that's stuff's taken a deep consideration and there are people who don't want to see new trails built because it's maybe it's just because they live closer to those trails and they don't want more people next to them. But also, I mean, like that's legitimate reasoning that, you know, you're going to be disturbing wildlife with uh, a new trail. And um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it is worth to take into consideration on the other hand, it's like if you get more, more people out, more people seeing deer, elk, bears, things like that, like, it's pretty awe-inspiring. So I think that uh, is a pretty good return on investment in the long run to uh, get that get that appreciation. Yeah. I remember a few years back, Emba used to do, maybe they still do it, do a calendar every year. Who uses calendars, actually? They probably don't do it anymore. <laughs> but it was like a, you know, a calendar, like you hang it on your wall, and it had a different photo every month. And uh, one of the photos, I remember being like surprised a little bit. One of the photos was of a trail, you know, like a jump trail machine built. And in this photo, I mean, probably two thirds of the photo was like the trail. Like it was just so wide. You know, if you've been to a bike park, ridden something like a line, like, you know, you know how wide those trails can be. I mean, you could drive probably two lanes of traffic down a trail like that. And I just remember looking at it, especially compared to all the other photos in the calendar that were of like these nice narrow ribbons of single track, like, and you know, this gigantic Vista all around, like lots of nature and just thinking like, man, some trails, it just look like roads, you know I mean? It looks like, it looks like a scar on the mountain Yeah, and it is, you know, fortunately that's not, those types of trails are a lot of fun to ride. I will be the first to admit that. And, and I don't, think that we need less of those or we shouldn't build those but there definitely does seem to be like a place for that kind of trail building that's that's definitely not everywhere if that makes sense totally and it seems like a lot of those right are happening on ski resorts where like the thing's already basically a giant golf course (laughs) the trees are already cut down yeah, so it's yeah a little bit easier argument there, I suppose. Yeah, and I think their interest is in right. They already have this amount of usable land that not in every case. Like I mean, you take some of the bike parks out here, and it's just like they're leasing land from the national forest. So right, they have to go through pretty hardcore procedures to get trails approved too. But it's not the case with everywhere. You know, and a lot of resorts are just considering, to me, it seems like considering getting the most bang for their buck with the land and then with the seasons. So it definitely makes sense at a ski resort where you already have just vast swaths of the mountain that are like clear cut for ski slopes. Right. I mean, I mean, you look at those even in the summer and you can pick them out. I mean, there you see mm-hmm. the mark of progress on the landscape and. So yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's, that's the place to do it. I would hate to see 
sort of that style of trail building, you know, being done in, in more pristine environments, but yeah, ski resort makes total sense. But, but yeah, we do see more machine built trails and ones that are being built and, and with good intentions again, you know, I mean, the intention is, well, we need to build it sustainably and we need to put drainage in and all these kinds of things. But, you know, one of the side effects of that is that what you're left with is not very natural. You know, it's, it's very much engineered and designed for bikes to ride on it. And so, yeah, I guess maybe I'm old school that way that to me, a natural trail is, is preferable, but again, I like both of them. They're both a lot of fun. Yeah. They definitely both have their, their places in, I guess, different types of experiences to where you go to Whistler and you ride a line and it's sort of, uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's more challenging yourself. Um, seeing your progression on the bike and then natural, raw, rugged, single track, like in the mountains somewhere is definitely, I mean, you can have a hell of a lot of fun descending on that, mm-hmm. but it, it, yeah, it does feel like more of a connected nature experience. Yeah, definitely. So we kind of touched on this a little bit, but how do you guys think that we can, as mountain bikers, be better natural stewards? You have any ideas, Jero, or anything that you try to do to be a, a better steward of nature? Yeah, I would say like, I mean, maybe the first thing is like teaching kids about nature and getting them excited about it. So like taking my daughter on hikes and bike rides and whatnot and just trying to figure out what elements of being in the forest are interesting or exciting for her. And then the other stuff, maybe it's pretty obvious, but like going to cleanup days and voting according to, you know, different ways that are going to positively affect the environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just learning about specific issues around your local ecosystem and what animals are in danger, what plant species, all those sort of things. I mean, that information's all out there and just taking a little bit of time to read it can be, I think, pretty helpful. Yeah, for sure. What about you, Matt? What do you think? Yeah. Well, I, I think knowing your wildlife is definitely important. I stopped taking selfies with bears <laughs> like, <laughs> like that, like legitimately turned into a big thing on like my backyard trail apex like two years ago. Cause people would see bears out there. I never did. I don't know why, but people were seeing be- uh, bears out there and you know, proper protocol is like sort of, you make yourself known, make yourself loud and you want the bear to like, it's cool to see, but you don't, you don't want to ease interactions between bear and humans because then they grow too comfortable around you. They start charging you. And that's, yeah. So, and that, that's basically what happens. These visitors were getting too comfortable with them, trying to take pictures with them. And the bears got too comfortable, started charging more people. And so eventually the rangers went in and uh, put them down. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I mean, even, you know, and then everyone's up in arms and it's like, well, this is kind of what we have to do. You can't really reintroduce these bears anywhere because they've already learned this behavior. And it's like, yeah, they didn't want to put them down at all. But I mean, knowing proper etiquette like that is is just kind of huge. Knowing knowing and respecting the uh, trail etiquette signs, yeah, which mountain bikers always put last, which, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm going to go into a whole argument about. But I mean, at least while they're in place, like you want to pass properly it's a big thing around here too because there are so many people so you're not passing properly the trails just get wider and wider and wider mm-hmm. so yeah and then to mitigate that attending trail maintenance days volunteering putting your time in always good 
Yeah, it seems like there are lots of things that people can do. And yeah, I mean, it seems like the biggest, the overarching thing is just that we're like, we're, we're visitors, you know, whenever we go out into nature. And so we should be respectful. And, you know, the thing I always learned in Boy Scouts, I guess, was, you know, when you leave a place, you know, whether it's a campsite or a trail or whatever, like you want to leave it better than you found it. And so mm-hmm. that means, well, one, like not damaging it while you're there. Because that's that can be hard to repair um, if you're, you know, crashing stuff down. But also, if you see trash, pick it up, take it out, um, and obviously don't add trash yourself. It seems like we can all do a better job at that. And part of that just starts with not being there for yourself necessarily, but thinking about others and thinking about the environment. So, what do you guys think about the fight between various recreation groups over land access? It seems like maybe there's some common ground that we can recognize. I know one of the groups that tends to be against mountain bikers is the Sierra Club. And that's a group that's been around for a very long time, has a very good mission, you know, on the whole that I think a lot of mountain bikers can agree with. But for whatever reason, like we find ourselves in conflict with groups like that. So what do you guys think? Is there hope for us all kind of coming together over a common love of nature. Have you thought about that, Jiro? Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. If there's actually hope for the the headbutting to stop. <laughs> I mean, it seems to me like, and I know this is oversimplified, that if we started the conversation from the fact that if we've decided that we can be in a particular part of the environment mm-hmm. and it's okay for humans to be here and we're going to build a trail, and that's public land, then agreeing that we're all part of that public, we're all paying taxes, and that we all have an equal right to be there, I think would be a good place to start. Yeah, It might even be a step beyond what most people would be willing to accept, but I would say two of my favorite places to ride when I was back in Oregon were open to hikers, mountain bikers, and motorcyclists, and they were amazing. And I would argue the trails were better because of the motorcycles like the vegetation was always brushed back because motorcycles are wide you could always hear motorcycles when they're coming you just get out of the way and i don't know i never had a problem and i rode those trails all the time so i think there's a lot of possibility and there's a lot of stubbornness (laughs) yeah it seems like some of the groups are worried you know specifically when we think of us as mountain bikers and the people who maybe oppose our use of certain trails or, or riding in certain areas seems like part of that is concern that we are damaging the environment, um, even though we can point to plenty of studies that show that we don't damage the environment any more than other user groups or maybe even less than some like horseback. But, you know, just the fact that we're having this conversation that, you know, the three of us can talk about how much we enjoy being out in nature and how much we respect nature it seems like that's that's really common ground. Like that's the whole thing. And if we can all agree that we're there to protect it and enjoy it and, you know, see it thrive, then it doesn't seem like we really have any disagreement. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, you know, some of it's got to be bureaucracy and there's folks that are looking at the legacy of the organizations they've worked with and Mm. maybe wanting to uphold that or uphold their positions in those organizations. And I think, you know, that's that's the hard part. The human part and the power of it is the tough part to deal with when realistically, like, we all kind of want the same thing, like you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely does seem like a lot of that, Drew, 
like legacy is a good way to put it. And if you look at the wilderness or not the wilderness to say, but uh, the Sierra club and just how much more political influence they have over and probably even over Imba. It's a massive organization. I mean, they have, I don't know, I want to say a million members or something. And, and I literally get, you know, fundraising stuff from them in the mail, like probably once a month, like a big thick thing, you know? So they're super active. Yeah, they're very active and a lot of people are on board with their mission. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it is like, it's just, they have a lot more power to say how certain areas should be enjoyed. I think most mountain bikers would agree that we can get out and respectfully enjoy wilderness, but not really anybody is going to allow us to do that any foreseeable amount of time. (laughs) Yeah, it is interesting, but I'm hopeful that we can start to see more of that common ground and that different user groups are able to come together. I mean, it's interesting on a, like a one-to-one level, there doesn't seem to be any problem. You know, you talk to somebody who enjoys riding horses in the woods or someone who enjoys hiking and they have no problem with me and I have no problem with them, but it, it does seem to be once you get into these larger groups where you don't know the people on the other side that you start to see these conflicts about, you know, what's the best way to enjoy nature, which seems silly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's interesting. Like when I was in Sun Valley, again, going off what Drew was saying about the shared trails with motos in Oregon, that was a big thing for them in Sun Valley. I think you saw it too, Jeff, to where a lot of the trails out there, uh, usable by motos, e-bikers, hikers, in early season, the moto guys and gals will go out, clear the trail, clear brush, and mountain bikers will do a lot of the reshaping and things like that. So it's like this collective effort between user groups to enhance the trails. But then again, it's a much smaller population. So I don't know. Like it Here at home, it doesn't seem like it worked because we still have a pretty limited amount of trails for the amount of people we actually have. You guys have a different soil compound right like you were saying the trails get widened out pretty easily i mean that could be problematic with motorcycles i imagine for sure so yeah there are there are limitations but in general i I think we all want to go enjoy the forest with our toys or our feet and we can probably figure out ways to do it for sure well cool this has been a fun conversation hopefully it's been inspiring to others as well and maybe a little informative Uh, That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Peace.